Today we return to uh, the Lord's great Sermon on the Mount recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 to 7. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your device, I encourage you to turn to the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5. A survey conducted by Gallup reveals that by far the majority of Americans believe that our nation is in a state of moral and spiritual decline. I'm wondering if you would agree with that survey. Are we in a state of moral and spiritual decline? Well, this, okay. <laughs> One person's response, all right. The survey goes on to reveal that a majority of Americans have little trust in government, the courts, science, technology, education, any of the political tribes or parties that are out there, and even organized religion to fix what is perceived to be a serious erosion of values. So the question is, what's the answer? If ultimately government, science, technology, education, religion, all of these things that are mentioned are essentially powerless, to impact our country and our world with respect to the key issues these days, who or what is going to provide the ethical and immoral leadership that's needed to pull us out of our decay and our darkness? The answer may surprise you. Let's stand together for the reading of God's truth as recorded here in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is speaking. Here is his answer to that question. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here ends the reading of scripture. You may be seated. All of us are familiar with salt and light. I mean, they are two of the most common household commodities. Salt, for example, I'm sure is in every one of our homes, and it was very commonly used, of course, back in the days of Jesus. We think of it primarily as something we add to flavor food. But uh, no doubt as a boy growing up in Nazareth, Jesus would have observed his mother Mary on many occasions using salt uh, as she worked in the kitchen. But in addition to that, uh, working with food and flavoring food, we also discover that Mary would have primarily rubbed it into meat or fish. Since refrigeration didn't exist back then, the salt would have been used as a preservative against decay. And so it is also that Jesus would have observed his mom Mary lighting the lamp when the sun went down each day and so now Jesus turns to a, a group of essentially peasants who are standing on the north side of this large lake called the Sea of Galilee, 
And he says to them, as he says to us today, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Meaning what? Well, that's the question I want to try to answer for us this morning. By means of these illustrations, salt and light, Jesus is drawing our attention to four very powerful lessons, each of which relates to our being difference makers in a world, a culture that's marked by decay and darkness. So what are the lessons? So I hope you're taking notes using the card that we provide each week, sermon outlines. So here's the first of the four lessons. Christians are radically different from non-Christians. Christians are radically different from non-Christians. Both of these images, salt and light, indicate that there are two radically, radically distinct and different kinds of communities in our world. So first of all, there's the earth, which is like rotting meat or decaying fish. And on the other hand, you have Christian people, the people that Jesus has described in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes, verses 3 to 12. Jesus there introduces his sermon. And so these people that fit that description are to be the salt of this earth. And then there is the world with all of its evil. It's a very, very dark place. Christians are to be the light in the midst of this very dark world. Each of these statements finds Jesus beginning with an emphatic pronoun, you, as if to say you and only you are the source of the world's light and the earth's salt. So he's saying that first of all, you and I as Christians are radically different in our character and in our values from non-Christians. So we're as different as light is from darkness, we're as different as salt is from decay. I heard some time ago about a little girl who was raised by uh, non-church-going parents. They were going through all kinds of problems, economic issues and health concerns, all sorts of problems, and Christians found out about it and decided to do something about it. And so they stepped in and began over a series of months to respond to the various economic and, and other kinds of needs that this particular family had. And so after all of this was going on for a period of time, the little girl was asked the question, what she thought it meant to be a Christian. And she responded by saying, well, as far as I can tell, a Christian is someone who's different from everybody else. Would that that were true all the time, because friends, it's that difference in character that will attract the attention of our world. You know, we often want to be like everybody else, not just the students, by the way, even as adults, we want to blend in, we want to be liked, we want peer acceptance and approval. But Jesus is here asserting that our influence for good in society depends upon our being different, not the same, but distinct. Notice this statement by one of my favorite <clears throat> writers, preachers of a generation or two ago, Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is what he says. The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though, at first, though it may hate it at first. 
So this is the first of the four lessons that Jesus is here bringing to our attention. Christians are as different from non-Christians as salt is from decay, as light is from darkness. All right, let's build on that so we can get to some, start getting to some application, all right? So here's the second of the four. Christians must penetrate non-Christian society. I want you to notice how Jesus develops this particular point. I've already reminded you that the first part of this Sermon on the Mount finds Jesus uh, engaging in actually eight statements commonly called Beatitudes found in verses 3 to 12 in which he's describing the character qualities that identify his followers. Please understand as we take a moment here to just review very quickly because we had a whole series on this about a year ago, and I'm sure you remember the entire series. <laughs> then again, maybe not, okay. But these are not things that we should strive to be. He's not declaring that these eight statements are things we ought to be uh, doing in greater measure in our lives. He's describing character qualities. He's saying in essence, if you're part of my kingdom, if my spirit has done work in your heart, if you are a Christ follower, you will to some extent display all eight of these character qualities. So what are they? By the way, they're not going to be displayed perfectly. There are times when we will do things, say things that are contrary to the standards of Christ. We got that. But these, nevertheless, will be eight marks of your life. What are they? Well, first of all, we'll be poor in spirit, which essentially means what? We are aware of our bankruptcy, our utter spiritual poverty before a holy God. So what's the second impact? Well, as a result of that, we mourn. The mourning that Jesus talks about in that particular beatitude is not a mourning that we engage in because of the brokenness of our lives, suffering, it's really talking about mourning over a state of our moral bankruptcy, our sinfulness. And so then we're humble or meek in character. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. We want to be right with God. We want to be right with others, and we want to do right. That's what righteousness means. And then we're going to be merciful, compassionate. We're going to be pure in heart, integrity. We're going to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers peacemakers, and will seek to remain faithful in times of persecution. So Jesus is saying this, you reveal these character qualities and you will be demonstrating to other people you're running on a different kind of fuel than everybody else in humankind today. So these eight character qualities describe character. Having described character, Jesus now, in these verses we're looking at today, verses uh, 13 to 16, is describing our influence. People who have this kind of character are going to have a very significant influence. So it's as if Jesus is saying something like this. Hey, my followers, whoops, sorry. I want you to listen up right now. You live out these eight character qualities You'll be demonstrating that you are a world apart from everybody else. But I don't want you to become isolated or socially segregated, whereas a church, you sort of function like a little Christian club. 
where you're withdrawn from everybody else, separated from unbelievers in order to protect yourselves from the decay and darkness of this world. I want you to do the exact opposite of that. City Church, let your light shine into the darkness of South Minneapolis and beyond. Don't hide your light under a basket. Put it out on a stand for everybody to see the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. And the salt must be allowed, not only is the light given to shine, but the salt must be allowed to soak its way into the meat. So a lamp doesn't do any good if it's under a basket. Salt doesn't do any good if it's kept in a salt shaker. The light has to shine in the darkness and the salt has to be soaked into the meat. So Christians must penetrate non-Christian society. That's the second of our lessons. How does that happen? Well, I want to try to answer that question two ways. First of all, as salt, the mission that we have today is to prevent decay. Now, the Bible in several places, but especially, it seems to me, Romans chapter 1, finds the Apostle Paul painting a very grim, dark picture of what happens when society suppresses the truth about God. What happens? Its values, its standards, its character steadily decline, and it becomes corrupt. I want to read you his description. I actually thought of trying to put together some very short video clips depicting images of brokenness and suffering and pain and difficulty in our world today, but there are a lot of kids here this morning, so I thought that may not be a good thing. Okay. But I am going to read, without comment, his description in Romans 1. Look at these verses. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that, they should, that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of shining, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. I mean, what a picture of decay, and yet Jesus is announcing this is the kind of world that we're called to penetrate in order to have a restraining influence in our culture today. So that's part of our mission, but there's another part of our mission because we're also to function as light, illuminating the darkness. Now, to give us an understanding of what Jesus is getting at, I want to turn to another passage of Scripture, 1 Peter 2, 9. This is what Peter says. You are, yeah, you're salt, yeah, you're light. You're also God's own people, notice, chosen to proclaim. Now, that means we're given a message. We're given a message to proclaim the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Jesus is here calling us to exert a twofold influence in our world today. A negative influence by arresting its decay 
and a positive influence by bringing light into darkness. The first involves what is often called evangelical social concern. Others refer to it as ministries of compassion and biblical justice to arrest decay. The other involves evangelism, communicating the gospel, calling people into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ as God and Savior. Now you may know that historically, churches have tended to emphasize one of these or the others or the other. Liberal churches, that is those who deny biblical authority, who reject the, that Jesus is the son of the living God, his deity, the need for an atoning sacrifice, all of that, tend to emphasize ministries of compassion and justice. Evangelical, more conservative, orthodox, theologically uh, sound churches tend to emphasize evangelism Jesus is calling us to do both. So, how do we do that? Well, I want us to consider what it means for us as city church and what it means for us personally. So first of all, as a church, looking at the negative, how should we begin to arrest moral and spiritual decay in our culture? Here's a list of ministries that we're currently engaged in, and this isn't all of them. But there's Anselm, Anselm House, excuse me, which you may know operates on the campus of University of Minnesota, uh, seeking to promote a Christian worldview in that presence. Community Emergency Service gives out food in the name of Christ. Uh, Cross Resources, Barb Kirk's ministry emphasizes prayer. Hope Academy, K through 12, Christian education. Jonathan House, serving people forcibly displaced. Source Minnesota does a number of things, including some food distribution. Together for good, what is that? Well, it supports families in crisis. Transform Minnesota finds us supporting black-led ministries and leaders. Trout Lake Camps, some of you kids have engaged there. Uh, Young Life Capernaum, what's that? Well, it's serving students of various abilities. Feed My Starving Children provides nutritious meals for children malnourished, particularly in third world countries. So, it's growth groups, you've heard about them today. Ministry teams, it's families, it's individuals, each of us being committed to being sold by engaging in one or more of these activities. But that's the negative, because the world needs more than a bag of food or clothes. More than our efforts to arrest decay, more than ministries of compassion and justice, people need Jesus Christ, and they are lost without him. So what are we gonna do as a church to communicate the gospel? Fortunately, a number of these ministries wanna connect ministries of compassion and justice with the gospel, but in addition to that, here are some things that we could list out. This is not you know, um, everything, but here are some things. Alpha, if you don't know about Alpha, speak to Pastor Amy. Christmas Eve services, Easter services, vacation Bible school. We could add to this as a significant means of gospel communication, city kids, velocity. Not every kid who shows up in this church is connected to Christ. 
So these ministries want to do that. And of course, we have various ministries, including the service for, for uh, uh, adults and, and everybody else. Okay, if that's what it means for us corporately, what does it mean for us personally? Well, I'm wondering today, what is your plan to penetrate non-Christian society as an individual and as a family? Well, the important thing, I think, is that we see ourselves as missionaries to our culture 24-7. Sharing the gospel, responding to human need, being salt and light is a full-time calling. And friends, it's not optional. When you signed up to follow Jesus as your Savior and Lord, this was part of the deal. And so the question again is, what's your plan to be salt and light in our culture today? Let me share with you some suggestions, five of them. Number one, do life with your neighbors. You can't be salt and light while having all of your social interaction with church friends. You can't. Survey after survey reveals that the majority of believers in the United States today, if you've been a Christian for two years or more, you probably have few, if any, unconverted friends. That's got to change. We've got to do life with our neighbors. So what does this mean in a practical way? Well, it means, among other things, if you're into sports, you play a sport. Maybe it means... You're involved in a city league with co-workers instead of some Christian alternative. Maybe it means considering starting a neighborhood barbecue or a book club or something like that to minister to get to know people who are far from God. If your neighborhood includes your school, maybe it means after school you're going to hang around and involve yourself in some club to hang out with people that are far from God or some sports team, maybe it means if you're on some secular university campus, you're gonna connect with a traditional sorority fraternity rather than a Christian alternative. You're doing life with people in your sphere of involvement who are far from God. That's our first suggestion. Number two, be careful what you post on social media. I'm entering into this one with a little bit of fear, let me tell you that right now, but here we go. If you post political messages, please stop. Why? Because our task is to represent Jesus Christ and the gospel, not some political ideology or candidate. Posting your political views will get you some likes from people who are part of that tribe but everybody else is turned off. So who do you really represent? A particular political ideology or King Jesus? Who's in charge of your life? What message do you really want to communicate? You communicate a political view and essentially everybody that doesn't like it is gonna say, I don't want your Jesus because your politics doesn't agree with mine. So that's number two. Number three, parents, Wow, I mean, you have an incredible opportunity today to connect with others outside of the church through your involvement in your kid's school. You really do. I mean, the parents of your children's friends may become your friends. So you engage in, is it called PTO here? 
I don't know what, whatever that organization is called, you're connected with things in, in the, your children's school. Number four, write down the names of neighbors and friends who are far from God and begin to pray for them every single day by name. If you have a lot of people on your list, maybe it's just taking a sample each day until you get through the list by the end of the week. Number five, finally, be open to opportunities to share the gospel with others. If you need a refresher, don't come to my class during Sunday morning community. Don't even come to Pastor Amy's class. Go to Andy Roll's class and learn the principles of life evangelism, okay? So, sorry about that. <laughs> Number one, Christians are radically different from non-Christians as salt is from light, or salt is from uh, decay and as Light is from darkness, there you go. And number two, we're called to penetrate non-Christian society. Number three, yes, Christians can influence and change society. You see, it's often thought that it can't. The idea is, well, th this world of ours is really screwed up. There's nothing we can do to change it. Sorry, Jesus says that there is. And these images, I think, are gonna draw that to our attention. I mean, just as salt rubbed into meat and fish can actually hinder decay, so we can act as salt and hinder moral and spiritual decay. And as light dispels the darkness, so we can act as light and dispel the darkness of sin and evil with the good news of Christ. Now granted, our world today is really dark, really decayed, we see it in the news all the time, don't we? We're reminded of it today with respect to the events of 9-11 and the horror that that event was that impacted certainly our country but many countries as well around the world. We're reminded of the violence in our cities and our schools, the shootings that are taking place, dishonesty, war in Ukraine, disrespect for human life all over the place. It is appalling. But as John Stott reminds us, if a house is dark at night, there's no sense blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question is, where's the light? And if meat goes bad, there's no sense blaming the meat. I mean, that's what happens when bacteria are allowed to breed unchecked. The question is, where's the salt? And if society is morally co corrupt, like a dark night or rotten meat, there's no sense blaming society. I mean, that's what happens when fallen human beings are left to themselves and evil is unchecked. The question is, where's the church? Where's city church? Are there ways that we can have a greater impact than we're having at the present time? Friends, it's hypocritical of us to shrug our shoulders in frustration and to raise our voices in condemnation and blame society for going bad, Jesus calls us to be the world's salt and light. So if rottenness and, and darkness abound, the church, this church, every church, needs to repent. But it doesn't stop there. Because next, we also need to accept with greater passion than perhaps ever before the role that Jesus has given to you and to me. Now, I can understand if people outside the church are just frustrated to the max 
you know, total despair of anything good happening to change our culture at the present time, but there's no need for you and me to feel that way. Why not? Don't you believe in Romans 1.16? You say, I don't know why about words. Romans 1.16, what does that say? Romans 1.16 announces that the gospel is the power of God unto the salvation of everyone who believes. Don't you believe that verse? Don't you believe that people, marriages, families, and society can be changed? I mean, examples abound throughout the history, uh, human history, of the benefits that Christians have brought to society. I don't know if you're aware of this. Sometime Google, for example, you know, the abolition of slavery throughout the British Empire. Who do you think did that? Evangelical Christians led the way. Or you talk about prison reform, medical care, literacy, helping the poor, shelters for the homeless. How about establishing schools and orphanages and hospitals in third world countries? How about economic recovery in major countries of the world like England? You go back to the 1700s and you realize England was on the verge of total economic collapse. Unemployment was off the chart. What saved the day was the evangelical great awakening. It did transform that culture. And then you go ahead and you think about helping addicts and alternatives for abortion. You think about addressing child abuse and the problems of sex trafficking today, and you realize evangelical Christians have led the way in social reform. You say, what about today? All right? Who do you think is leading the effort to provide a humanitarian aid in the country of Ukraine right now? Isn't the government? They're poor. All of their efforts are going to the war effort. So who do you think is leading that charge? Evangelical churches throughout that country have stepped up. They have the infrastructure in place to provide support for people in cities, towns, and villages, and they are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ along with providing human aid and assistance. It's remarkable. Or you go to the country of Rwanda, which had three hospitals throughout the entire country until one church decided, you know, by the time people got to these hospitals, they were dead, you know, they, it was just too much. So they decided let's have medical clinics in churches throughout the country. And they started 50 of them along with the church. They give medical care, but they also are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, all kinds of ways which throughout history, Christians have made a difference. And don't underestimate the power and influence of a small minority. Look at this quote by sociologist and author Robert Bella. Said this in an interview in Psychology Today, the quality of a culture may be changed when 2% of its people have a new vision. Well, we're more than 2% Christian in our country at the present time, so let's have a greater impact. My prayer is that we will, as a church, let our light shine by what Jesus calls in verse 16, our good works. That is, sharing the gospel, performing actions of compassion. And what is true corporately needs to be true personally. Friends, people out there are not going to come in here. Not under the present structure of things, not under the, you know, they may come through some 
side door ministry like Alpha or a ministry to provide support for people that are grieving a loss or something along those kinds of lines. But basically, it's us as individuals becoming full-time ministries, missionaries in our culture today. We've got to love people to Christ. We've got to serve people to Christ because they're not going to walk into this building. And so we need to make a difference becoming what one author calls shake and shine Christians. Yeah. Now, sometimes the impact comes from little deeds. I recall the story I just recently heard about a, a Christian worker who led somebody um, connected with his job to saving faith in Christ. And when asked, how did that happen? He said, well, it's no big deal. I just took off about an hour or so from work and went to the funeral service for this guy's dad. Walked in, few people there, went to the back of the room, just sat down. That's it? Well, the next day, this friend of mine calls me and says, I can't figure you out. I mean, why do you show this concern for me? And I was able to start telling him, well, because you matter to God, and God makes you matter to me. You make sacrifices. You begin to get involved, and there's a good chance you're going to illumine someone's darkness this week and have an opportunity to tell them about a Savior in Jesus Christ. So we're radically different. We're to permeate non-Christian society. We can influence and change society. Here's the final lesson. Christians must return to their Christian distinctness. Jesus goes on to say, first of all, of salt, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It's been a while since I've had high school chemistry. I didn't do particularly well in it, as I recall, but it, I, I do remember, what is salt, N-A-C-L? All right, there you go. I haven't forgotten everything. And I understand it's basically a very strong compound. So in a sense, salt never loses its saltiness, but it can be mixed with impurities. And if that were to happen, essentially, as Jesus says here, it's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. And so the application is, if we become contaminated by the impurities of our world today, we're just like everybody else, we lose our influence. Well, then Jesus makes a similar claim with respect to light. It's as if he says something like this. Hey, church, my hope is that you will not be like the city that conceals its light, but instead it's like driving down 54th and eventually getting on highway uh, I-35W, going north, and as you get toward the Lake Street exit, at night, clear night, what do you see? These amazing lights, the city skyline, it's just awesome. It's one of my favorite views. That's where to be, what we're to be like. And so if we're to have any influence in our culture today, it's not enough that we're penetrating non-Christian society. We've got to retain our distinctness. So City Church, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Will you say today, Lord, 
Here I am, send me. I want to close the teaching time today by inviting you to respond to the challenge of Jesus by confessing our willingness to be the revolutionary people that he's calling us to be. So this is what we're going to do. Would you please stand? Now I'm well aware of the fact you have no idea what I'm about to ask you to do. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to read this confession. I don't want you to right now. I just want you to listen and you can kind of read it to yourself silently. And if this confession, after we get through it, represents the confession of your heart, then I'm, we're going to read it through a second time, and then I'm going to ask you to join me, and we'll say it in unison. If it doesn't represent where you're at today, please don't utter a word. Just stand there in silence, okay? So let me read it. You just listen. At our church, we believe that we're called to take on the character of Christ, to turn from our own desires, our own ambitions, our own priorities, to live 180 radical lives. So we raise our voices together saying, here we are, send us. May we be known for our love, our action, our humility, our dependence upon God, our pursuit of God's heart. May we be known for bringing peace, where there is conflict, justice, where there is oppression, mercy, where there is brokenness, healing, where there is sickness, restoration, where there is damage, light, where there is darkness, and the gospel, wherever people need Jesus Christ. Here I am, Lord, send me. So if this represents the desire of your heart, let's go back to the beginning. Join me in this corporate confession. At our church, we believe that we are called to take on the character of Christ, to turn from our own desires, our own ambitions, our own priorities, to live 180 radical lives. So we raise our voices together saying, here we are, send us. May we be known for our love, our action, our humility, our dependence on God, our pursuit of God's heart. May we be known for bringing peace where there is conflict, justice where there is oppression, mercy where there is brokenness, healing where there is sickness, restoration where there is damage, light where there is darkness, and the gospel wherever people need Jesus Christ. Here I am, Lord, send me. Let's pray together. Father, may we be in character all that you call us to be and flowing out of that character on those occasions when we make use of salt to sprinkle on our favorite meal or see a light turned on in a dark room, may these very familiar actions cause us to reflect, reflect on our calling based on our character to be difference makers in your world. Father, deliver us from the hopeless feeling that nothing will make any difference. Continue to give us vision personally and as a church that we might love people and serve people and get involved in the lives of broken people 
and in so doing cause people to look to you and experience the change from decay and darkness which you alone can bring about in their lives. And may that Father in turn find others offering praise and thanksgiving and glory to you. Here we stand. Send us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask. Amen.